Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith, and today we are joined by Lori Lightfoot. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm glad to be on the program. Thank you so much for, yeah, for making the time to talk with us. Um, we found out, when did we find out about, probably pretty soon after you announced, like, because you announced in like early May, right? That's right, May 10th. Yeah, um, and right away we were like, we should try and reach out, and so we did, and you were so gracious to sit down with us, and just thank you again, yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, um, so I know the first thing that we really wanted to kind of ask you about um, is, you know, our audience, I think a lot of our audience are familiar with uh, with your run and your campaign, but um, I think a lot of our audience also aren't as well. So I'm uh, I'm curious if you could kind of just give like an elevator pitch to like what what your view for Chicago is and kind of what the campaign is is founded on. Sure, I, I got into this race because I really love my city, um, but I also fundamentally believe that the city was going in the wrong direction under the current administration. There are too many people that are being left behind. Um, there's a have versus have-not style of governance that I totally reject, but I also think um, really it exacerbates uh, lots of tensions and cross-currents that are running through the city, um, but also nationally as well. What I envision is a city that um, where we come together, a different progressive, uh, a different and new progressive vision um, of governance in Chicago, one where uh, equity and inclusion are really our North Stars. And, and let me tell you specifically what I mean by that. Where we invite people into a discussion on the front end as welcome partners in a conversation, whether it's hard uh, choices that have to be made about um, education funding, um, schools that are going to be open, how we resource them, um, issues related to uh, policing in Chicago, um, uh, concerns about um, the regressive taxes that we have in a city that fall too heavily on um, low- and middle-class individuals and families. These are all things that affect people's lives. We need to govern from the perspective of inviting people whose lived experience are going to be affected by policies into the discussion. And that's not happening now, but that's a vision for Chicago and governance um, that would happen under my administration. What I appreciate so intensely about what you just said is um, equity versus equality. I think that what a lot of what is happening right now, you know, nationally and on a local level, is that the idea of looking at somebody in an unfortunate situation and trying to enact change to benefit that person's situation is a matter of handing everybody the same box. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, the idea of equity, obviously, is everybody gets a different box based on what is needed. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that's, like, just from the get-go, incredibly refreshing, the idea of equity versus equality. Look, I think what we need to be doing in the city is understanding where people are, creating opportunity for people to participate in, um, and making sure that there aren't any artificial or structural barriers to participation. Now, people are going to take advantage of the opportunities or they are not. But the problem we face, I think, right now as a city is that the opportunities are so limited and are really only available to a small chosen few. And that is a reality and a perception that I think drives a lot of the narrative and people's disaffection with government. Um, I think we live in a time 
again, both nationally and certainly here in Chicago, where people are very cynical and skeptical about whether or not government has anything meaningful to contribute to their day-to-day existence, their day-to-day grind. And the reality is, of course, government has a role to play. Government can't be the answer for everything, but certainly government can be a catalyst for change. A mayor can be a convener of people of like mind who want to get to the same end, but need a leader, need a vision, need to be brought together in one place uh, to work towards a a common interest and a common goal. That is an appropriate, I think, role for government, and particularly a big city mayor has the ability to generally really affect the quality of people's lives in a meaningful way every single day if she has the uh, uh, empathy the vision, the strength, and the conviction to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not simply because it's politically expedient. This is, that's amazing. I, one of the things I kind of really want to touch on with this is, um, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about what it means for a progressive to be running for mayor, especially mm-hmm. in Chicago, especially mm-hmm. with the current administration. And I think that um, there are a lot of times when we enter this conversation of critiquing the, the current administration, that what what that critique can look like mm-hmm. can sometimes be painted as like being part of the right wing or sometimes can be painted as like these things can sometimes be co-opted. I, I, uh, I know that one of the things I really wanted to kind of uh, hear you expand on is, you know, in what ways uh, do you see that? this administration could be doing something that's different in a lot of ways that you, because a lot of the things that you mention are things that are like unifying for both the like the right and the left, like mm-hmm. a progressive vision of, of tax, uh, like tax reform and all these things, like they really tie into both sides. And so I, I'm curious um, uh, for you, what are kind of the, where do you find those critiques with the way the administration is being run and kind of how has that affected how you plan to uh, campaign and, and, and be there? I think on virtually every issue, I would be considerably different than the current administration. There's nothing progressive about the way this administration engages with citizens. There's nothing progressive about the way in which this administration governs nothing progressive about the way in which it invests. I mean, on and on, whether you talk about, frankly, policing, you talk about um, education, um, the uh, way in which we call upon people to give their hard-earned tax dollars um, and how the city is run, whether the city is run in a fiscally responsible way, it is not. So pick the issue we're going to be in a very, very different place than what the current administration is doing. But again, because where I start, based upon my background and experience, and I don't just mean professional experience, but I mean my life experience, growing up in a small town, living in a family that struggled um, financially, that lived paycheck to paycheck, um, that really understood that hard choices have to be made about which bills you can pay versus which bills you have to pay. I live that life, and so when I see people in this city struggling with their day-to-day existence, I know it because I experience it myself. And so I bring that empathy and that real-life experience to the task of governing, to thinking about the best ways in which we can engage people in a constructive conversation about their future, right, their future. We can't govern from the top down. That doesn't work. 
It's failing. That's the status quo, which we have to reject, and we have to move in a very different direction. That's why I say I offer a new progressive vision and course for the city that starts and ends with equity and inclusion. Now, if we do that and we get it right, no matter what the issue is, if people feel like they are heard, that they have a meaningful opportunity to participate in governance and policymaking, even if they don't agree with the end product, they're still going to view it as having legitimacy because their voices will be heard and reflected. That's radically different than what's going on right now in the city of Chicago. Yeah, and I want to I wanna kind of um, expand on another thing that you've kind of touched out, which is I'd love to hear more about your background because I know that another big talking point for you know Chicago and Illinois generally is how much the mayor's office and the governor's office, there's like a major butting of heads all yeah. the time. And sometimes... Sometimes that can feel like, as an, as an onlooker, my, speaking from my experience, it can feel like that's staged or like there's less to mm-hmm. that. Um, but, you know, hearing, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, especially coming from, you know, a, a state, like a suburb, suburban experience, you know, like not like coming from that into your uh, experience with city, um, city governance. Well, I grew up in a small town in Ohio, so... There's no way that you could uh, look at my town and say we're a suburb of anything. <laughs> we're about 60 miles south of Cleveland, um, but it's a small steel town. Um, but a, a couple lessons from that um, experience, and there are many, but one in particular that I think is responsive to your question. We, we were a, a very segregated town. And I, as an African-American, grew up on kind of a white, blue-collar area of the town where, for most of my growing up years, my family was the only black family in this entire um, section of of town. Um, But the one thing that we did and we worked hard on is understanding each other and working cooperatively. Even though we came from very different experiences in some way and we saw the world differently in a lot of ways, we were able to get things done, both you know, as a kid in my school, working on student projects. I was always part of student government, and frankly, in my high school years, I was president of my class every three, all three years. We had three years of high school. Um, and what that says to me is, look, there are things in which we are going to fundamentally disagree with other people about. And, you know, Republicans in these days are very different, frankly, than Republicans even 10 or or 20 years ago. Um, The national push to the extremes, particularly in the Republican Party, I think has made the Republican Party, frankly, unrecognizable in a lot of ways. But we have to work together. There are people in the city who have differences of opinion. They self-identify in ways that are different than I am politically. But we're still Chicagoans. We still have a future together. And we have got to figure out how we reach that common ground. So we get to a point where no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter who you love, no matter um, the God you worship, that we have a sense of ourselves as united in a common sense of purpose. I don't think that's pie in the sky or being in a Pollyanna. We have to work together as Chicagoans to preserve the things that we think are important and that unite us. And there are a number of those things. And again, around the edges, I think there are things that we're fundamentally going to disagree on, no question about it. But we, if we are going to be strong and be a, continue to be a global city 
and work on shrinking the gap between the haves and the have-nots, we have to focus on what unites us and not what divides us. And that's got to be, again, I think a, a fundamental governing ethos. Uh, let me give you a, a specific example. One thing that's been in the news a lot is um, the closing of the four high schools in Inglewood, also the closing of NTA, which I frankly still don't understand. But the difference there is even if hard choices have to be made, you know, we don't want kids in a high school where they're getting a fraction of the kind of resources and services that they need to be successful. That makes no sense to anyone. But that was a known fact for a long time. CPS gets its funding based upon headcount. Studying the demographics and the shifts is the responsibility of a whole officer. They've got people there. That's what they do. That's their job. So it wasn't a big secret or mystery that these schools were losing population on a fairly regular basis. Why not, before it becomes a crisis, engage the stakeholders, engage the students, the teachers, the parents, the other um, people that in those communities that care about those high schools in a transparent, real conversation, present the data, and, and yeah, you're going to take some licks because people are going to be upset because hard choices have to be made. But if you don't respect them and you don't invite them to the table on the front end of that conversation, you're never going to have legitimacy in the decisions that are made. So right now we have people that will forever be angry about the way in which the closing of those high schools were done. Same thing, frankly, with NTA. And you may know that there's, um, and that's National Teachers Academy, you may know that there's a lawsuit that's been filed because people are angry and, frankly, pissed off about the way that they were disrespected, that their views weren't heard, that they weren't validated as having something important to say about what was going to be happening to their kids. That's crazy. And that is not a way to govern. And I reject it entirely. I, I completely agree. I think that what's happening in this current administration is that it's it's a very hands-off governance. There's no real, it's like you said, there's no real engaging with what is actually happening mm-hmm. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. These schools are closed because attendance was, because, you know, the numbers show that they should be closed. And at the end of the day, they were like, okay, cool. That's less that we have to worry about. Whereas, you know, anyone responsible, anyone who values their city, everybody who wants the people in those communities to thrive and have futures and, you know, it would make, it's common sense to go in and try to identify what is causing those numbers. And it, it, yeah, it goes back to the whole, like, top-down just doesn't work. And then to say, oh, but you know, we are going to build this great new high school, but none of you are going to be able to participate in Mm -hmm. it. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad. Well, I want to kind of piggyback on what um, what you're saying, especially with something that I know that you um, were particularly um, enamored with, I guess is the word I want to use, with um, with some of the communication you've done so far, which is um, you kind of, there was a, was it a press release or was it a... It was, it, I, I read your, it was an interview with the Chicago Defender yeah. where you were um, talking about um, cer- certain you know, that there were a few issues of, that you had that, or not issues that you had, but there were a few issues where you felt that you had some blind spots. But you said, yes, you know, everybody has these blind spots, but, you know, I plan on meeting with experts and learning more about this. 
and you didn't use the word blind spot. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, no. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I didn't use it. <laughs> no, Look, no, what, I, yeah. what, I, what I said and what I believe is, you know, I have had the opportunity to look at a range of public policy issues. I'm a former senior leader in three big, complicated city departments, the police department, the um, Office of Emergency Management Communications that does not only 911, but Homeland Security, deals with man-made and, and weather-related emergencies, um, and um, um, at the uh, city's procurement department, which at that time had a $2 billion a year um, procurement budget. So I have dealt with some very tough issues across a lot of city departments and, and of course, in my own professional life. But I don't sit here and pretend to tell you that I'm an expert on every issue. And I don't need to be. And I think what you're referring to, as I said, I don't need to be the smartest person in every room. What I believe in is you gather people who are experts. And and, in my view, in this city, we have a bonanza of incredibly talented and smart people on virtually every issue that we can think about, from the neighborhood level to the academy, in philanthropy, in business, um, and, and, and other ways on every issue that you can think of. So part of what we're doing right now is um, we are building out kind of our policy uh, platform, and we are engaging people from all different perspectives on particular issues to make sure that we get it right, that we are hearing from people whose lives are going to be affected by policy, that we are hearing from people who have studied it from an academics perspective, who are living it from a day-to-day business perspective and so forth, so that we understand the nuances. And frankly, it's in the nuances where policy can really make a substantial difference. Absolutely. And that's kind of really touching on the reason that I brought this up, which is because also hearing in the way that you talk about how um, the current administration is dealing with current issues is it feels like what um, what really doesn't seem to be working is how it, the, the administration communicates with the public and communicates directly with the people that it affects. Well, it's, 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 it's much more profound to me than just the lack of communication. I got into this race because there were hard issues that just aren't being addressed. So, for example, the fact that we have 40% of black and brown children in the city that live in poverty, that live in poverty, and that there's no plan in place to address that devastating fact. The fact that in many of our neighborhoods, we have people who are suffering from unemployment rates of 25, 30, and 40%, even in a time that nationally we're effectively in full employment, that that reality doesn't exist in neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood throughout the city. And that doesn't even count the people who have just given up hope to find any job because in those neighborhoods, there aren't jobs. There aren't opportunities for them to be able to participate in the legitimate economy. And so it's not just a communication issue. It's failing to take on the tough but necessary challenges to make sure that prosperity is spread through every neighborhood and it isn't dictated purely by zip code or economic status. That is something that we absolutely must embrace as a city. And if we're not willing to do that, we're shutting the door on generations of people, generations of neighborhoods and communities that have every right to participate in the fullness and the greatness that this city has to offer. And yet this administration refuses to even acknowledge these hard choices, these big issues. 
I won't do that. I am not standing on the sideline and letting people in the city just wither on the vine because I don't have the strength of character to address these hard issues. I got into this race because I couldn't stand to see people suffering, that their voices were absolutely excluded from the narrative and the discussion. I won't do that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I, the, I, the kind of next piece that I, I'd like to kind of touch on is, um, you know, we've mentioned it, um, but your experience with the, um, the police accountability task force. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, I feel like that's relevant to this conversation, especially, you know, with the way that the role of police can play out in, in this administration. Um, so I'm kind of curious to hear from you about, uh, what the role of police looks like and, um, what, what, maybe you've gleaned in your experience and and what it looks like for Chicago? Well, I I fundamentally believe that the police department is one of the most important institutions in our city. And why? Because if people don't feel safe, if they don't feel like they can go out on a warm, sunny day, send their kids to the park, walk down the street in safety, then we are lost as a city. So getting policing right is fundamentally important to the most vulnerable people in the most distressed neighborhoods in our city, as well as it is for all the rest of us. And I hear from people of every walk of life, every demographic, all over the city, who say to me, I'm scared. I don't feel safe. This is an issue that resonates across the board with people. So getting that right is critically important. And what I know from my own experience as a former federal prosecutor, as somebody that worked inside the police department for several years, and from, of course, my roles as the police board president and the chair of the Police Accountability Task Force, is we have to make sure that our police department is best in class so we can deliver on its obligation to serve and protect everyone. Here again... Public safety cannot be a commodity that is only available to the rich. I had a question earlier today in which someone said, well, what do you feel about these private security firms? And that, you know, I think Alderman Riley now has a proposed ordinance where merchants along Michigan Avenue are going to be able to hire off-duty police officers and pay for them. And Look, there's a number of challenges with his proposal, with due respect to the alderman, But to me, the fact that people feel like they have to hire private security to do the basic job of public safety says that that our police department is failing, that they have lost confidence in them. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, right, for people that live in Austin, which is one of consistently the most crime-plagued neighborhood, or um, West Garfield Park, or um, um, North Lawndale, or Inglewood, or Roseland, or Humboldt Park, and the list goes on and on and on, right, of those neighborhoods that are absolutely under siege, with, particularly with gun violence, those residents don't have the liberty of saying, let me just go in my pocket and pay for private security. So we have got to get this right for every citizen in Chicago. Where do we go? It, we start with training, of course. If, if our officers, as we found out um, during the work of the task force, leave the academy, spend 25, 30, in some instances, 40 years on a job, and never get professional development again over the course of their career, 
that is absurd and unheard of and says, frankly, that we are not um, valuing the department's most important assets, which is, which is his people. We have to be, do a much better job of dealing with the practical reality that Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the country. We recruit from those segregated neighborhoods. If you go to an academy class today, or worse, a promotion class, meaning somebody who wants to be a supervisor of men and women in the department, you walk into one of those classes, and what you're going to see is that people in that room invariably have self-segregated by race. So if you are meeting somebody who is different than you, for the first time as a peer in the police academy or in a promotion class. We have to make sure that no matter who you are, what your background is, that you can police anywhere, anywhere, and deliver quality services in a respectful and constitutional way. And I mean it when I say this, that we have to get to a point where the average cop on the beat values respectful constitutional engagement with the community as every bit as important tool as their gun and their badge. Now, we're not there yet by a long shot, but that has to be the goal. Other cities have been able to bridge this gap because they have valued it, they have planned for it, they've developed strategic plans around it, and they are consistently working hard to make sure that they get to that place, that they don't plateau, that they don't step back. We have to do that in Chicago. One of the big reasons I got in this race is because I know that in my core. I know how to solve and address the issues and the challenges of policing in the city, and I can do it from the mayor's office. We're not going to delay. We're not going to have any roadblocks. We're not going to say we mean it but not really mean it and not provide the resources and determination and, frankly, the accountability that has to be there to make police officers legitimate in the eyes of the public. I love the way that you think about this. And I think that um, so much so, the thing that it really kind of ties into and and something you've kind of hinted at is this idea of like what is public and what is private. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so much so it, it seems that like Chicago can be a city that wants to lean on the private. And I I think that, um, you know, I have my own opinions on that, but um, what, what um what I'm curious for you is you know the way that you speak on these things it's about setting a very high bar mm-hmm. and that's very much what like when you really unpack when you're not using accountability as like a buzzword but really unpacking what it means to be accountable like setting that very high bar for a public sector is not uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this but I, you probably get what I'm where I'm getting at which is what how. Is that, do you find that that's a novel thing, that you're no. setting this bar? No. Yeah. And, I, and frankly, I would, I would disagree slightly. I don't think it's setting a high bar. It's saying we want a police force that is legitimate in the eyes of the public. We want a police force that engages in constitutional policing. That's, to me, pretty fundamental and basic. I don't think that's a high bar. We want a police department that respects that even though you live in a crime-plagued neighborhood, that not everybody there is a criminal. Right? This, these are, this is fundamental. I don't believe that that's a high bar. I think that's necessary and essential for us to be able to live in a city where people feel safe, where they can call 911 without fear of what's going to happen. And where police officers, the vast majority of them, who I think do the right 
try or are trying desperately to do the right thing, who come on the job for the right reasons, who stay on the job for the right reasons, but frankly have been failed by a system and a department that hasn't valued them, that hasn't invested them in the right ways. Now, there are people who listen to that and say, basically, F the police. Why would we invest in them? We invest in them for that little kid in Inglewood that wants to be able to go out on, on her street to the park and enjoy the sunshine. We invest in them for the senior who feels pinned down in their home because they're fearful of what awaits them if they open up that door. Those are the reasons why we have to make those investments so that our city works, that people are not living in fear, where kids don't grow up with fear as their major organizing tool, where they learn duck and cover before they learn their ABCs. That's why we need the police department to be successful in its mission to serve and protect. Now, by saying that doesn't mean that we ignore all the other things and, and, and uh, inequities that exist in the city, that we ignore the cries from neighborhoods for resources. It's not an either or. It is not a zero-sum game. And yet people feel that way because of the way in which this administration has governed. It's, I will invest here, but I'm going to ignore everything else over here. I will benefit and prioritize this, but I will ignore the vast amount of people who also need city resources, whose needs must be prioritized. That's why I say the us-against-them mentality style of governing, we have to reject it. That status quo has failed us. We have to move in a different, new, progressive vision. So I'm curious, you mentioned the lack of professional development for police officers. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious um, what kinds of professional development is available to police officers that Chicago is not currently taking advantage of. There's a, there's a long list. Let's start with the fact that we do live in one of the most segregated cities in, in the country. What that means is young men and women who come into the police academy are not going to know people who are different from them, whether they are black, whether they are white, whether they are brown or Asian. They're not going to have that experience and familiarity. Yet they're going to be going and policing in neighborhoods that may be very different than what their life experience is. We have to put on the table the explicit and implicit biases that we all have, and we have to deal with that. The police department has some programming to deal with some of these issues, not nearly enough. I'll give you another concrete example. In New York, before recruits um, go out into the field with their field training officers after they graduate from the academy, the last two weeks of their training in the academy, they get their, their um, area of assignment, and then they go out into those areas in the daylight hours, and <clears throat> that's important, in the daylight hours, um, and they meet with community ambassadors. Why is that important? because it demystifies these neighborhoods for them. It shows them that there are people of goodwill, and they do it in the daylight hours so that they can actually have an experience engaging people, seeing the vitality of a neighborhood, um, and not have to literally kind of feel their way in the dark. That's critically important. That has um, inured to the benefit of officers in New York we can do that here. It's not complicated. There are lots of people who want to engage if we are willing to take steps in their direction. Very simple. I think, frankly, we've got to deal with the um, vagaries of the seniority system that places young officers um, on the midnight shift 
in the most undesirable and most dangerous neighborhoods in the city. That makes no sense. The people who should be policing at that time are our most experienced officers, not the least experienced. So that's something, frankly, that has to be dealt with through the contracting process. But there's countless examples like that, that we can do a much better job. It's not rocket science. There's lots of information about best practices. We identified 197 pages of them in the Police Accountability Task Force and another almost 200 pages from the Department of Justice. The difference is having a mayor who gets it, who understands it, who's committed to it, and is willing to do what is necessary to move forward and make real meaningful progress by um, providing the necessary resources and personnel to actually make it happen and holding people accountable. Now, the other end of that, and I think that undermines the legitimacy of the police department, is the almost half billion dollars that's been spent over the last seven years in settlements and judgments and attorney's fees. How does that help anything? Half billion dollars, 500 million. Think about what that money could go for. And what people should know is there's no budget for that. What happens is we go into the bond market, and borrow the money to pay off these multi-million dollar settlements. We are now at the beginning of July. We have already exceeded our budget for the year in, um, for settlements, not just for the police department, but in general, which was $40 million. We've already blown through that, and it's the mid-year point. What's the number going to be at the end of the year? That's irresponsible and inco- incompetent governing. I, uh, I'm really glad that you've brought up the kind of money aspect of all of this because that I think is um, a conversation that Chicago feels like it feels like, you know, um, wh- where I'm going with this is that, uh, you know, we mentioned before about kind of like where the state and the city can, can yeah. have conflict. One of the places where they've really agreed on is this idea of, of cutting major private like um, tax breaks and things like that for major businesses, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you've mentioned already that you've that you the idea of a progressive like progressive tax reform is is something that's important to you. I'd like to kind of expand more on that um, because I think that's something that uh, I mean, and I mean, my experience might be limited in this, but it feels like something that might not be something that we've addressed in the last few decades is this idea of how do we actually institute progressive tax reform. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious kind of your thoughts on if that's accurate or not or, and how, uh, kind of what you're thinking in that. In that so I'm going to give you two responses and pick up on the first part of your question. Look, uh, the mayor of Chicago is critically important to the health and well-being of the entire state and, frankly, the region. Chicago is the economic engine for Illinois. It's the economic engine for the upper Midwest. And so a mayor that has that understanding and vision and can work cooperatively with other elected officials and other, frankly, leaders of a community and a region and a state is critically important. We don't have that now. How do we know that? Think about the last election cycle through that ended on March 20th. Not a single Not a single person running for office asked for Mayor Rahm Emanuel's endorsement. Not a single one, right, had him campaign with them. No one. Not one. What does that say? And I have people ask me all the time that live outside of the the city. 
um, what's the relationship between Rahm Emanuel and pick the elected official that is in this region? And I think the answer is basically none. That says a lot about where we are. That kind of regional cooperation is critically important. It's important, frankly, that the state representatives and senators who go to Springfield and represents parts of Chicago understand what our needs are. Now, of course, they understand it to some degree because they are representatives, right? But the city has an agenda in Springfield every year, every session. The city has specific needs that it needs to get from state government. And you can't advance and advocate for that if you don't have relationships with people. So I think that's an important part um, of the question. Now, on, specifically on finances, look, there has been virtually no transparency around city finances, and that's a problem. We know we have challenges, but what the magnitude of the challenges are and, and how we solve that really is dependent upon understanding the nature of the problem. But we can't get there if we don't have transparency. But what we do know, frankly, the little that we know, is that city finances are out of control. They're not being managed well. We talked before about the number of um, uh, judgments and settlements and attorney's fees, not just with the police department, but as a result of lots of other inefficiencies and waste and mismanagement of city government that is costing taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars. That has got to change. The fact that we don't have any robust risk management function in the city of Chicago. I mean, imagine that. We're almost a $10 billion enterprise. Can you think of any other company or entity that has that level of budget that doesn't have somebody who's looking out for making sure that dollars are being spent wisely, that they're looking at particular risk and working to mitigate that risk? And yet, we don't have anything. The Inspector General for the City of Chicago recommended a year ago that the mayor hire and empower a risk manager for this very reason. Did anything happen with that? No. That proposal, like many, fell on deaf ears, went into the circular file cabinet. I'm not going to let that happen. One of the first things I'm going to do when I'm mayor is I am going to hire and empower a risk manager because we've got to demonstrate to people that we take the, the fact that they give us their precious, hard-earned dollars seriously and that we are going to be true fiscal stewards of dollar, tax dollars that flow into the city. We can't have an expectation that, well, if we exceed our budget... If we don't manage money well, we'll just go back and we'll tax and we'll levy and we'll fine and we'll fee our way to the additional monies that we need. We can't do that. And we can't have a conversation with people about hard choices that have to be made, particularly when it comes to pension issues, if we haven't demonstrated to them that we take it seriously, that we're competently managing the fiscal resources of this city. We can't make that argument now because this administration has failed miserably when it comes to that. I will change that. It's basic. It's fundamental. But again, it's about leadership. It's about having a sense of urgency around these important issues, which we see none of with this administration. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a hard pivot. Okay. Um, so our background is the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our audience, most of our listeners are artists okay. who live in Chicago, 
who create in Chicago and many of whom have benefited from the artistic infrastructure that Chicago has. There are, you know, Grand Park, the the Grand Park. We know a bunch of people who work with the Grand Park Music Festival. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, many people have benefited from grants that the Harold Washington Library is mm -hmm. fantastic resources and, and them being open to the public and yeah. So I'm wondering, as mayor, like, what are your hopes in continuing that tradition of um, fostering a strong artistic community in Chicago? Well, I think it's fundamentally important to our identity as a, as a city. You mentioned the Harold Washington Library. My wife um, worked at the Harold Washington Library in a senior position for 18 years under Commissioner Mary Dempsey, who I can't say enough good things about. Um, she, my wife, was the person who helped create the Umedia space um, in the Harold Washington Library, and then now has worked with other folks nationally to create those similar kinds of spaces um, all across the country. And obviously, it's proliferated here in the city of Chicago. So, um, you know, I, I when I first moved um, back to the city after clerkship, um, uh, very soon thereafter, I lived in Bucktown area, which, as you know, um, has a history of being um, a great um, haven uh, for for artists. Um, so, I, and you know, my wife is on the Steppenwolf board. We are very involved in the theater community um, here in Chicago. We have a lot of friends who, that's how they make their daily bread is as artists. So I get it, and I, I recognize um, fundamentally the, how important it is, not just the high art, right, but also giving young people an opportunity to express themselves in a number of different ways. Um, I have been a big fan and supporter of Louder Than a Bomb, um, which is, I mean, just an unbelievable um, uh, spoken word festival. And going to the finals, whether it's the indie finals or the team finals, and seeing the, um, they've been doing it recently at um, um, the theater uh, the, on, on Congress, seeing that theater um, full Every balcony, that beautiful theater full of young people who are excited and engaged. I mean, it's so infectious. And frankly, I've been telling them they should videotape the audience reaction so people can see that, to see young people engaged in something that's incredibly powerful and positive. So, you know, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, musicians or um, spoken word or graphic and visual artists or actors and theater, we have a very important history of supporting the arts in Chicago. It's one of the things that makes this a special and important city, and we got to do everything we can from the government perspective, but also from private dollars to make sure that those opportunities are available for people to really live their dream of being part of the um, arts community here in Chicago. I fully, fully support it. No, I mean, that's huge because, you know, there are, our background is both in opera. We're both opera oh, singers. Great. And, um, you know, we, when we started My this My neighbor's out, a former opera singer. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, and so, you know, in the 18 or so months that we've been doing this and talking to people, we've talked to people of all walks of life, of all artistic walks of life. Mm -hmm. and. Just one of the through lines that we've been touching on recently is, you know, what brought you to Chicago, which is, you know, always a compelling story, but also, more importantly, what's keeping you in Chicago? Yeah. Yep, yep, and yep. I think that it's, it's, 
you know, it's a priority for artists and, you know, I think it's important that it's a priority for the city and for that, that there be infrastructure that makes it easier to keep artists totally. here. I do not want to see people who come here with the hope that they can make a life and a career here and then think, no, I can't. I got to go to New York. I got to go to the West Coast. It is frustrating. And so we've got to be very smart about making sure that we are creating opportunities to really incubate that talent so people know that they have an opportunity and a real life here in Chicago. I don't want to keep losing talent to the coast. That's, that's a great, I love that. Um, yeah, we actually have a, a couple minutes left. Uh, so the last thing we do with all of our guests, usually they're, they're promoting upcoming events, but um, it's a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Um, I think it can also very much be like where people can find out about your, more about your sure. campaign, where people can, can sign up and sign up to donate and things like that. And volunteer and all yeah. of that. Well, the easiest thing to do is to go to our website, lightfootforchicago.com. Um, we'd love for you to follow us on Facebook, um, on Twitter and Instagram. We're very active on those platforms. Um, but we have felt overwhelmed by the positive support that we've gotten. We have over 400 people that have already signed up to volunteer on the campaign from all over the city of Chicago. And we welcome people to kick the tires, check us out. I think we're on to something. I think people in the city are hungry for change. And I'm determined to demonstrate that I am really the only viable alternative to Rahm Emanuel. But more to the point, that I have the vision, the gravitas, and the bandwidth to lead this city forward. Thank you all so much for listening. To your ear, we are je- we came back home. We've left the offices of, of the Lori Lightfoot campaign. We just want to say thank you again so much to Lori Lightfoot and her entire team for, for housing us and, and talking with us. Um, it was a really fantastic conversation, you know, mm-hmm. having left and, and come back to record mm-hmm. the outro is, yeah. is it's a, <laughs> it, we count ourselves lucky to have spent the time. That um, was, it was really cool. So, yeah, so thank you again so much for listening. I've been Dalen Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles and podcast episodes there. Um, if you want to keep up with, with what we are up to on other platforms, you can do that on social media uh, through Facebook. with a Facebook page called Scopy Magazine. We also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board. Um, for a, It's a group of like-minded folks who we talk about art and local art and local politics and, uh, and just communicate. And it's really, really great. Um, otherwise, you can keep up with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag. You can also find the podcast, the one you're listening to right now, Scopy Radio, under Scopy Radio in most podcast places, including iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, and Radio Public. And I'm here to talk about the importance of subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to sign up for email blasts that will let you know every time we post something. This is huge because even though we post across social media platforms, Facebook buries our content. So if you want to see 100% of what we're doing and not just 30% of it, you should sign up for those email blasts. The other thing you can do is become a member. Membership levels start at $5 a month and make a huge difference in what we're able to accomplish. Also, if you're interested in advertising opportunities, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So, give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. 
Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.